1: Last week in Impeachment. That letter is an astonishing document, Mary. The White House wrote a letter saying cooperation was not an option. In terms of an impeachment process that requires accommodation, it is as a starting posture. We're not accommodating anyone about anything. Suck it. But could giving Congress the finger save the president?
0: You know, the way I read this letter was almost as if they were like amputating a leg, sort of.
1: So basically, it may hobble them, but it may save the patient in the end. Yeah, pretty much. So, Jeremy, last week in impeachment, I mean, do you remember last week in impeachment?
0: I don't remember Tuesday in impeachment,
1: Mary. Jeremy Stahl is a senior editor at Slate. This week, he'll be our impeachment guide.
0: I will try. I will do my best to remember Tuesday in impeachment. I'll say that.
1: He says the surprising thing about the last couple of days is the long line of federal employees who are ignoring last week's orders.
0: Despite instructions from both the White House in that letter and from the secretary of state, Mike Pompeo, in in a previous letter to say that they would not be allowed or authorized to testify without White House council or, or State Department counsel present, you know what, they testified with, without the counsel present, and they seem to be just fine. Fiona Hill testified before lawmakers for more than nine hours yesterday. Fiona Hill planned to tell lawmakers that the president's outside lawyer, Rudy Giuliani, sidestepped official channels to run a shadow foreign policy in Ukraine. Today, a diplomat named George Kent testifying behind closed doors. There was an official traditional diplomatic track when it came to Ukraine, and then there was an unofficial back channel. That's right. We have just gotten the prepared testimony that Ambassador Sondland is going to be delivering under oath to the House house today and Stephanie it paints a damning picture of, a of
1: today on the show the two witnesses you need to pay especially close attention to Fiona Hill and Gordon Sondland and with a subpoena deadline looming will the white house give in or keep fighting back I'm Mary Harris you're listening to what next stick with us this episode is brought to you by discover So, this week started with testimony that, to me, it really set the stage for everything that's followed. This woman, Fiona Hill, a former White House advisor, showed up to testify. Fiona Hill was one of these names that I didn't recognize. You know, you say John Bolton, and I know who that is, but Fiona Hill just it wasn't it wasn't a name I knew. So when she was scheduled to testify, I didn't quite know what to make of it. But why did you know, like, oh, this is this is going to be important. This is going to be interesting. I should I should pay attention to this.
0: I was exactly like you. I had no idea how how critical it was going to be. And I had no idea how involved she was going to be in this. The one indication I would say was that, you know, she worked directly with John Bolton and John Bolton was, you know, he says he resigns, but the president says he was dismissed. But he left. Uh, the White House right before all of this blew up, but after it had happened. So there's always been some kind of indication that Bolton would, would, Bolton's name would become important at some point. And the fact that she worked directly with Bolton was an indication that she might, she might know some things, but I still did not expect or know to expect that her testimony would be so, so critical.
1: So the White House had warned her not to say much. There had been all of these letters back and forth where they explicitly warned her, you know, you had a security clearance and you shouldn't be divulging things outside of that clearance. What did she say?
0: So what what she said was this. She laid out basically what we've come to understand is, and I think according to public reporting about her testimony, what she described as a shadow foreign policy being run by the president's personal attorney to place pressure on the, yep. according to the testimony of others, to place pressure on uh, Ukraine and Ukraine's president to uh, offer what what has been called in text message between some of the key players in this, a deliverable. Um, and that is a statement of an investigation of President Trump's political rivals and opponents. And what she said was that uh, there was specifically a meeting on July 10th, I believe, two weeks before the infamous phone call between President Trump and the president of Ukraine.
1: I, I want to talk a little bit about how weird the meeting was because there was interesting reporting about you know, Sondland, who's the ambassador to the EU, who testified later this week, about how he sort of rolled up into the White House with these Ukrainian guys and it was an awkward meeting. And then as soon as he mentioned this political aspect, this idea that we'll be investigating people and that's part of what we have on the table to secure this relationship with Ukraine, Bolton bolts up and he's like, this meeting is over.
0: In that meeting, it was with two representatives of the new ukrainian president and of the of ukraine and in that meeting the potential for a meeting between the two presidents was discussed and according to reports about hill's testimony the ambassador to the eu who is allegedly bit was the government point person on all of this mentioned uh the investigations and seemed to link potential for a meeting between the two presidents to opening investigations. And at this point, according to what we know of Hill's testimony, John Bolton, the former national security adviser, went, quote unquote, ballistic and closed the meeting down. Sondland then invited the two Ukrainian officials, according to Hill's testimony, to a, a private room. Hill was then instructed by her boss, John Bolton, to follow them. And when when she did follow them and when she arrived in the room she She apparently or reportedly testified that Sondland was discussing with the two Ukrainian officials Burisma, the uh, Ukrainian natural gas company, on which Hunter Biden, Joe Biden Sudden was a board member, and which is the center of uh, the President's efforts to have his political opponent investigated. And after this was reported back to Bolton, Hill was then instructed to take this to the National Security Council's lawyer. And there's some great, great lines from all of this testimony, the the best of which was, I believe, uh, Hill quoting Bolton as having said, I'm metaphorically speaking, of course, I'm not going to be part of whatever drug deal Sondland and White House chief of stack Mick Mulvaney are cooking up.
1: Fiona Hill seemed to me to, I don't know how to put it, like break a dam or maybe provide cover to other people inside the government who wanted to testify. Because after her testimony, you had a whole bunch of other federal employees, most of them from the State Department, appearing in front of Congress. You wrote an article where you basically said Mike Pompeo's subordinates are calling his bluff.
0: I think that Mike Pompeo explicitly said that Five individuals and, you know, presumably the rest of the uh, potential State Department witnesses would not be testifying without White House counsel or State Department counsel present because of executive privilege, quote unquote, involved. And yet all of these officials are testifying. So Hill was one in a string of dam breakage, but she was the first, first White House official, I believe, to testify and that the importance of that cannot be ignored.
1: So all of this testimony this week, it really turned up the heat and made people more and more interested in what Gordon Sondland would say when he showed up yesterday in Washington. And the reason why is that a lot of people had pointed to him and said, I have a lot of questions about why this guy who's the ambassador to the EU is involved in Ukraine policy. But not just that. It's also that he was definitely a political actor. He's someone who was a newbie to foreign policy, but he wasn't 100 percent a Trump loyalist. So there were a lot of questions in people's mind about, okay, what's he going to do when he shows up? In one sense, he's definitely Trump's guy. In the other sense, he's not like a 100% Trumper from the beginning. In fact, he had given donations and, you know, explicitly not given donations to Trump before then sort of jumping in and giving a lot of money to his inauguration in particular.
0: Yeah, that's I think that is very accurate description. And, you know, he was independently wealthy hotel hotelier from Oregon. And he initially backed Jeb Bush uh, of the one of the key early opponents of Donald Trump. Then, uh, after Trump won, he donated a million dollars to the president's inaugural committee. And he's, he's a guy who it's been reported has had these, he's been a Republican bundler for years and donated to the presidential campaigns of John McCain of Mitt Romney. Um, and it, the reporting around him talks about his philanthropy as well, but he's also been using his wealth as sort of a uh, political hobby is how it's been described and to ingratiate himself and get himself in good with uh, potential presidents potential republican presidents ultimately with the goal apparently of being an ambassador so so he's he's got this situation where he already has his own wealth and his own you know life to return to when this is all over
1: the way we first started talking about Gordon Sondland was when Ken Volker came forward with these text messages back and forth. Um, Gordon Sondland was one of these three amigos with Rick Perry and Volker. They were put in charge of Ukraine policy unofficially, which is weird because Ukraine isn't part of the EU. But anyway, he was put in charge uh, with these other folks. And in his text messages, you could see this back and forth where he talked about a deliverable. And then at some point, one person on these texts, I believe it was Bill Taylor, who's an ambassador, said, I think it's crazy that we're withholding funds from Ukraine in exchange for a political investigation, at which point Gordon Sondland writes back, I think you've misunderstood the president. I, he, there's no quid pro quo here.
0: Yeah. And that that learning of those texts to me was a damn bursting moment in, in this whole investigation because those texts, Solomon was going to have to talk about those texts uh, in his testimony on Thursday. And he was going to have to talk about the fact that he talked to the president in between receiving that text from Bill Taylor saying, this is crazy. Uh, linking military aid to help in a political campaign is crazy. And the other follow-up text that you described where he said, there's no quid pro quo. The president has been very clear. Let's take this conversation offline, in essence. Uh, he talked to the president in between those two texts. In that critical conversation, the pres- he asked what the president wanted. What do you want and the president wouldn't say, and he just, he apparently said repeatedly, no quid pro quo, no quid pro quo. And then Sondland followed up by saying the president says no quid pro quo, let's not talk about this anymore. But what Sondland testified to earlier was that, in fact, yes, there was a direct uh, linkage, at least in terms of the investigation of the DNC server and the meeting, and I I have a strong feeling we're going to learn more about the possibility that there was a direct linkage of uh, investigating of an announcement of an investigation of the Biden and this military aid, because that's where all the evidence points to at this point.
1: So going into this hearing this week, expectations were high with Gordon Sondland. It seems like he basically slipped his opening statement to reporters on his way in. Um, And what's interesting is that he really points to Rudy Giuliani. And so while all of the people who have testified so far, they've pointed to Giuliani, but they've also pointed to him. He's now sort of passing the buck a little bit to Giuliani and saying, you know, I was told that Giuliani was the person I should talk to about Ukraine policy. And I really thought that the men and women of the State Department were the people who should be handling this. But it seemed like this was the only way to get it done. And I only learned later That, you know, there might be this political angle to things, which to me seems a little disingenuous when Rudy Giuliani had been in The New York Times talking about how he wanted Ukraine to investigate Joe Biden and his son. So it's this interesting needle he's trying to thread in this testimony.
0: He's trying to uh, clear his own, you know, mens rea, his own you know notion of his own potential personal guilt and potentially that it might be wrong by saying i didn't think that this was linked to pol- a political campaign i understood it was linked to an investigation of Barisma, this uh this company that you know now only now i've learned was linked to hunter biden But I had no idea at the time. No idea. And it it strains credulity for him to say that. But that's going to be his that's going to be his defense, I guess. Yes. It's very hard to believe.
1: I think part of what's confusing about this story right now is that there are so many potential quid pro quos. It's like a grid of them. There is the quid pro quo where you're withholding aid and the aid is about investigating Joe Biden or there's the quid pro quo where you're withholding a meeting with the president. But that's about investigating Ukraine's relationship with DNC servers in the 2016 election. There's just a lot of possible connections and things being withheld for other things.
0: The way I like to think about it is that there's two. There's the carrot and there's the stick so the carrot is this potential meeting with president trump which sondland testified was conditional on a quote-unquote deliverable which was a statement from ukraine that it was investigating uh burisma specifically and the 2016 uh, dnc server situation specifically so two things that are codes for democrats uh, so there was the carrot of you do this good thing and you will get uh, this meeting that you really, really want because it will show your people that you have are in with the White House and in with the president and have the support of the United States of America. And there's the stick. And the stick is while all this was going on, there was $390 million in military aid that was being held back. For reasons that still haven't been explained, but were linked directly to an investigation, announcing an investigation of the DN server.
1: So let me just put this all together for listeners who might feel like they're in just like a soup of names and meetings and who's who. What I'm hearing from you is that this week we had a White House official, former White House official, testify that there was a shadow foreign policy when it came to Ukraine, that that foreign policy involved Gordon Sondland. And then when Gordon Sondland showed up to testify, he said, I was working with Giuliani. He was really the guy running all of this. Uh, Giuliani, of course, is the president's personal lawyer, quite close to Trump, so close that they were having lunch this past weekend together. So this is not looking great.
0: No. And none of these facts, the facts Themselves do not look great. They do not look great, and it, and you're right that it has gotten very. It has. It seems as though it's getting very, very complicated. The more that you dig into any conspiracy and possible criminal conspiracy, the more complex it gets. The more threads there are to follow, the more difficult it becomes to follow all all the threads. But the core of the story, it seems, is the. President was leveraging American foreign policy to help his political campaign by having uh, political opponents investigated. That's it. That's the entire story, and it it it's still that simple. I believe, even as the the new information clarifies the bigger picture and complicates things slightly.
1: we come back, waiting for a White House countermaneuver. So this week, we learned that the White House only has like so much power over people who work for the government. They all, many of them, turned out to testify. Much of that testimony looked quite bad for the president. But the White House has to make one more decision before this week is out. Today, Friday, they are due to fork over a bunch of documents to Congress. I think Mick Mulvaney's the guy who the letter is addressed to, the subpoena. So what kind of documents is Congress looking for here?
0: They're looking for anything uh, that was produced in relation to the reasons why this aid was withheld, who made the decision, and it's been reported that the president made the decision alone Basically, the elements that could further prove that the military aid was tied to uh, political support. And, you know, it seems like the going back to that letter from last week where the White House is the White House Council said, we will not cooperate because unconstitutional. uh it, se- it seems like they're going to I, if I had to bet at this moment and we'll know soon, they're, they're probably not going to cooperate and probably not going to
1: hand over documents. So what happens when that happens?
0: What the House has said is that we will view any not complying with subpoenas as uh, evidence of an attempt to obstruct the investigation, which, OK, they can throw in an obstruction obstruction of justice count into their impeachment. But that doesn't really get the documents. It doesn't get the facts. It doesn't get the evidence that presumably is, is you know, if they're withholding it, it's for a reason. Uh, but I spoke with Jared Hoffman, who is a congressman from Northern California and a member of the democratic caucus on Wednesday. And what he walks me through is what I, I think was discussed earlier in the week in a full meeting of the, uh, house democratic caucus, which is just that they want to move forward expeditiously. And That means maybe not, you know, waiting out potentially prolonged court fights trying to get evidence or using long dormant powers such as inherent contempt, which allows them to enforce their own subpoena power by having the sergeant of arms jail witnesses who do not cooperate. And, you know, there's questions about how that might that might cause a whole different constitutional crisis. And so The position of the House as it stands now is just we're going to head full steam, not necessarily within weeks, but within months, collect the evidence they have uh, from the cooperating witnesses, presumably, put that all together to tell the story of what happened here and then hold a vote on impeachment. So it seems at the moment, while while Hoyer indicated that they would attempt to litigate these questions through the courts, it seems that uh, there is a possibility that impeachment might be resolved before we get an answer on whether or not uh, this this specific form of stonewalling will work.
1: Is the idea that they think they have enough evidence already to move forward, or is the idea that they're scared?
0: According to Huffman, it's uh, an embarrassment of riches was the term that he used. And he, he basically said, at a certain point, you know, you kind of just have to pull the trigger because you have so much. And He he also indicated that if the the committees undertaking this investigation feel that it is fruitful to keep deposing witnesses and keep asking questions of people, they should do it until they no longer feel it's fruitful, essentially. But when it gets to this position of dealing with obstructive witnesses, while he supports inherent contempt, this very long-dormant and very difficult politically- constitutional principle and notion that Congress can enforce its own subpoenas by arresting people. He said, While he supported that fully. He recognized the political downsides of that. And I just believe it's because with witnesses like Zondland, they think they have what they need.
1: Hmm. So I should not expect Mick Mulvaney chained to a radiator inside the Capitol anytime soon.
0: I am going to say that image is just one for our our heads right now I think and I don't think it will actually it will never be one for our eyes.
1: Jeremy Stahl, thank you so much for talking to me.
0: Thank you, Mary.
1: All right, that is this week in impeachment. You're all cut up until next Friday. What Next is produced by Mary Wilson, Jason DeLeon, Daniel Hewitt, and Mara Silvers. I'm Mary Harris. I will see you back here next week.